0: Thanks for listening to another edition of the Business of Fun podcast. I'm Dave Wakeman, your host, and this is my opportunity to talk to people in the entertainment and experience industry about the challenges and opportunities created by selling and marketing experiences and entertainment to others. My guest today, Johannes Vollert. Johannes is the in charge of marketing with the Swedish Basketball Association, which I found really cool on the surface. But more importantly, Johannes is, like me, a like-minded hater of the discounts. So when I found out that Johannes had gone to the Middle East to talk about the reasons not to discount, I said, oh man, I got to have a conversation with him. And we get into a lot of things about the challenges of marketing a sport in a country that doesn't necessarily have a great deal of knowledge about your sport, um, the challenges of discounting or not discounting, um, maintaining price integrity. Um, using social media to create um, connections to your audience, and a whole lot more. I hope that you find this conversation as interesting as I did. So let's talk to Johannes. Johannes, welcome to the show. Thank you, Dave. i um, honored to be here. Oh, well, thank you for making the time for us. Now, I wanted to have you on today to talk about a little bit about growing the sport of basketball in Sweden, because we've had a, a chance to go back and forth over LinkedIn and email and all kinds of things about some of the challenges and opportunities of developing a sport from the grassroots level. Uh, you shared a recent study in, uh, a, a, of, I think, Swedish television stations that said the basketball is the 24th most popular sport in Sweden. So... To me, that means that's interesting because in America, I don't know that what would the twenty fourth most popular sport would be, um, but th- that means there's a lot of challenges involved. So, can you give my audience a little bit of a description of the environment of basketball in Sweden?
1: Sure, sure, Dave. Um, I went I went to a workshop a few few weeks ago, and I, I opened up with you know asking international and workshop, and I said, "What do you think of when 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 I say Sweden?" And I had lots of answers, you know, Ikea or, um, you know, blondes or uh, whatever. And um, but no one said basketball, um, uh, you know, surprisingly. And I said, no, well, the Swedes, they don't think of that either. Uh, And that's a big challenge. But um, the sporting environment in Sweden is you play soccer in the summer and ice hockey or you go skiing in the winter. Um, and you watch skiing or ice hockey in the winter, or you watch soccer. Well, kind of all year around because the European leagues playing in the winter and everything. But um, basketball is yet to carve. Well, we have carved out a little niche in in Sweden, but um, due to well, we haven't been that successful uh, internationally. Um, we uh, we fight to. Um, Get the attention of this overall, you know, average sporting Swede. And uh, we tried to push uh, participation in youth level.
0: Well, let me ask you this then, because you, so you've been trying to push the participation and you've been trying to get gain attention. And 6%, while compared to like other sports is probably maybe a small number, it's still a pretty significant chunk of the population. You know, so where have you seen success in growing your audience?
1: Uh, 've I've been with the Federation for for four years. and um, it's been growing lately. Um, we've, uh, we've had some record selling crowds. And uh, basically it's come from the idea that uh, we're trying to engage and get new um, people engaged through the existing people. So we're not trying to get go to new people. That aren't really into basketball uh we're, we're actually trying to get the people who kind of like basketball to go to more games to to buy more or to get their kids to play and actually talking to people who kind of like basketball it sounds you know kind of basic but um we haven't always done that we've been shooting kind of for the stars and trying to get people you know soccer fans or whatever you know whoever likes sports get get into basketball instead of um going to their core fans and trying to get them more engaged
0: so at the heart of it is sort of word of mouth and using influencers to grow the game let's say um historically maybe you wouldn't think of influencers as just the people in your community but those are probably the greatest influencers you have so it's like if you see one kid um playing basketball and he tells start tells his friends hey i want to play more play basketball then you grow the game from person to person, kind of like a, a sneezing effect. Is that and that's is that what you're seeing? Yeah, and
1: and being kind of maybe more systematic about it, um, and kind of realizing that's how we should do it because we don't have any, we don't really have money to go on a big uh, marketing ad or like buy newspapers or the um, subways or whatever. We can't we can't afford that, so. Um, we have to find ways to, to get the word out. And um, of course, nowadays also, it's maybe the most effective way to cut through you know, all the noise is the word, word I mean word to mouth. Uh, so I'm not saying it's, it's easy, but um, if we try to the small amount of money we have or time or resources, uh, we tried to get existing basketball people to to get other people involved yeah
0: and you talked about a process of creating opportunities for people to engage and connect with people over the game of basketball yeah is it sort of a formalized process or are there just like a couple of like bullet points or uh specific touch points that you kind of recreate over and over again or is it something like really complex
1: no it's not it's not complex and we're we're a small organization. Um, the whole Swedish Basketball Federation has a turnover of th- four million U.S. dollars each year. Uh, we have we're 14 employees, and um, we don't have um, we don't have all the resources. I mean, you're out on the internet, you're watching, you know, all these best cases, and it's you're blown away by you know what people do. Uh, these big organizations. Um, we try to uh, apply some of those principles like CRM, you know, getting to know the customers who, who likes basketball, what do they like, uh, what do they like about a game. It's it's very simple questions. I mean, we're talking four or five questions just to kind of get to know how they think and also that they, they appreciate being asked a question. I mean... If we ask a question to basketball fans that like the national team, I, I'd say we have, you know, 70, 80 percent of people responding uh, without any incentive. They just, you know, want to help. Uh, so we really this the process is is more um, why do they go to the games? Who do they go to with? Why do they play basketball? What do they like about basketball? And then and then try to, you know, act on that.
0: No, that's actually really good because I feel that what I see a lot of is that people when they ask questions, they ask questions that are very, um, they're kind of weighted maybe too heavily one way or the other so that they can kind of predefine yeah. the answers they're going to get. And by you just, it sounds like the questions you have asked are more open-ended and more uh, that revolve around allowing people the, the room to express their, why they really are interested. And then with an 80% uh, response rate, I mean, that's fantastic. I mean, I, having worked in direct marketing for a long time, 2 to 3% is uh, you feel like you've really won, and if you get 4%, you feel like you've, like, totally killed it. So 80% is, uh, is outstanding. Um, so, and I guess that leads me to the question, like, so you have a very high... Um, engagement from your audience now and then you're using word of mouth and how are you incentivizing these people with when you when you have a engaged audience and you have a lot of word and you're trying to develop word of mouth how do you incentivize the behavior so that people will continue to spread your information especially when you don't have a big budget
1: yeah um we're, uh, of depends on what we're, of course, everybody wants to do that. But um, uh, of course, we w- would like to have content on, on social media that, that is, people would like to share. Um, so we've invested in a digital content manager who is really good. Um, we don't have a big budget, so but he's a big part of our budget um, that creates really great stuff on, on mostly Facebook and Instagram, because that's where... They, they are mostly we're not on Snapchat, um, we are on Twitter, but in Sweden Twitter is more of a um, it's more for politicians and journalists, um, not the you know the crowds really. Um, doing that also, we of course we're having ticketing packages that makes for incentives to bring you, you know, bring the youth team, bring the parents, bring the family, bring a friend, two for one, and, and all of that, um, so that they feel that they, they, they're, they're not bringing, they get a deal out of bringing someone. And also what we try to do is, uh, play in bigger venues, make more of the event so that they don't feel ashamed to bring a friend that they feel, I mean, I, I, it's horrible maybe, but uh, if you're a small sport in a small country and you don't have a budget, the event might not always be that great, you know, so you have 800 people in the stands and, you know, it's not, people, even if they like basketball, they kind of feel, I don't want to bring someone here that I like because it's just it's not good. It's, I kind can, can of like it, but I don't think they like it. So, we've tried to play in, in big venues now lately to, to kind of make them feel proud of basketball. And this is how basketball is abroad, this is how it is in the NBA, I mean, yeah, we've been... So, actually, yeah, the product, make it better, um, make it easy for people to bring friends, um, and also uh, have good quality content on, on social media.
0: Yeah, no, that's interesting. And what you what you brought up that I, that you know that's kind of the basis of a lot of the top conversations I have here is well, two things: the perception of value, right, and always increasing the perception of value. And then the other thing would be to create an event, something that people are excited to see, something that they are proud to share with their friends and families and coworkers and other people. Um, you know, so how do you? create a perception of value in a market that doesn't necessarily care as much about your game and your sport and your event as maybe you think they should.
1: Yeah, that's, that's the million dollar question. (laughs) Uh, You know, it's so easy to, to, to just um, go out and and have price promotions. Um, I've certainly done it. I'm not going to, you know, and still do it sometimes. Um, but to, to to add value to the experience, yeah, we went to a bigger venue. We, we played in, in, usually we played out in Sweden in, in smaller venues that take maybe 2,000 people. likely we've t- taken it to the big ice hockey arena in central Stockholm, which takes 8,000 people. Um, and that makes people curious, like, wow, you're going to play there? this got to be pretty good to play there. So there's the perceived value going up. Of course, there's a risk too, because this arena is expensive. Um, And uh, we have to, like, we have to take a lot more in ticket prices. We have to, of course, if you hire, if you make the tickets cost more, there's more of a perceived value. But if you're, miscalculating the value of your event then no will come because it's too expensive and then you have to drop prices and you stop you know you start really um struggling so um the perceived value i think it's it's really important to to kind of figure out the initial uh, pricing of the tickets um, that they are not too low but not too high of course um uh, what we have done, I think there is, we've also do, done, you know, prize promotions to certain group segments um, in order to make them feel that they're valued, uh, like youth teams, um, that they pay half price, or the Moose Nation Supporter Club, that they pay half price sometimes. Um, I think there's, that's a way to build it, but I, I mean, if I would, it's not ideal. I mean, I wouldn't. I mean, the discounts. Uh, I know they kind of hurt the value, but with um, in order to attract the masses, now in the beginning, yeah, we've done that.
0: Well, you know, I mean, you know that I am very much anti-discounts. But the thing with like the youth groups, or the, you know, the teams, or especially supporters, if they get some kind of um, either a preferred price or. Um, better access or anything of that nature, I don't necessarily look at that as, you know, stealing from the value of the product. I look at that more as a reward for active (laughs) participation. And one of the things that I know that I see, especially a lot of times teams in the states struggle with, is um, encouraging active engagement and active involvement. I mean, there's a lot of the term membership thrown around here. There is a lot of um, talk about you know how valuable fans are but there's often not a reward for the, that sort of uh, engagement like the wolf nation has or uh, for me i'm a supporter of uh, tottenham hotspur in the premier league and mm-hmm. so they reward you for making a commitment to support the organization to support the team so um You know, so I think that what you're talking about as far as discounting with these, you know, with these groups goes, you know, it's not necessarily a classic discount, you know, which I know that you have a strong distaste for both discounts and giving tickets away, you know, papering your venue. Um, You know, so like when you talk about educating your audience and kind of pushing back and stopping uh, discounts or even freebies you know, what do you do? How do you educate, you know, I'm assuming both your bosses and your market that look, we can't discount because we're destroying the, the perception of value and we're undermining the growth that we've tried to create. And by papering the venue, we're also doing destruction to the value and the worth of our product. And how do you, how do you push back on that? Um, I think it's, in,
1: in some cases, a lot, all over, there's, it's part of a culture that if you're a small sport or you have really true fans, I mean, and also how you, um, it's how you market the game also, like, if we were to go out to youth teams and say, uh, all practices are shut down today because you're supposed to go and support the team, Um you need to be there to support the team. You should be there because you're basketball fans. Um, we've kind of done that before because it's a shortcut, but really what what, what he tells people, it's like they're doing as a service coming to the game. Uh, they're not there to have fun or to whatever. They're just there to, as an obligation. And why should they even pay for doing someone a service? Um, so what we've, try to do is it would change the venue like change the game a little bit this is a new thing we're playing this big venue now I mean all the freebies and everything it's out of the window this is something new so we try to change the culture that way and uh, and by like like you said giving some other um, advantages like uh, early bird tickets or seating that is next to the court or whatever, uh, you pay the same price but you get treated better because we like you and you're loyal but you still have to pay because if you don't pay like we we're not gonna we're not gonna be able to play in this venue it's it's impossible it's too, it's too expensive and we've also tried to like sh- show people that while on paper it's maybe you think that if it's free or whatever um, people will come but if you look at you know the ticket prices in the in the league in, in Sweden where where they're the lowest, it doesn't mean attendance is bigger. Um, it's I talked to um, I also talked to uh, Infront uh, Media, which owns a lot of you know rights all over the world, and and they said if people pay for the ticket, usually they 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 show up. If they get it for free, they might be like this afternoon. Ah, I'm just gonna watch movies, or I mean it's free anyway, so. So you actually have a problem. You don't even know if people are going to show up if you have a lot of free tickets out there. And and you know, so yeah, I'm I'm kind of passionate about it. I, I think it's really a shortcut and uh, uh, to hand out free tickets or like have big discounts.
0: Yeah, it's um one of those like zombie ideas too that hangs on. It's like, hey, if we give people these tickets, they're going to come. It's going to be great, and they're going to spend money on concessions. Yet, historically, the data shows that, that doesn't happen, and it shows that it doesn't happen over and over and over again yet it still it still lives on <laughs> and, you know,
1: and the concessions I'm sorry, but we had this I was in in a club in, in in Sweden before I joined the Federation, and we had this big you know free game you know a lot of people came because once a year, and the perceived value was great because it was free, normally they had to pay, but people. And I, want, I don't want to generalize, like but usually people that come when it's free, they already had lunch, dinner before they went to the game. They had like coffee with them. They, they're not going to pay like, you know, $10 for a beer or uh, they come because it's free. So they're not going to spend a lot of money on concessions. Um, and even you know we don't even know the own oh, the concession concessions in arena so i mean yeah maybe we get a bigger, 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 better contract later but yeah i i feel that you can do that like once a year or whatever like you know and have sponsors pay or, or whatever but as soon as the perceived value is going down then yeah it's just yeah
0: and likely it really only has value in that way because it only happens once a year because if it happened consistently where you were giving away the tickets to the game then the second time you did it in a year it has less value so then the third time you do it it has less value so pretty much very quickly you have no value for what you're done you know so like keeping it as once a year that's what yeah. creates that value that creates a sold-out situation. And by the same token, you're just proving it. Even though it's something people have been building up to and know about for the whole year, it doesn't mean that they're going to necessarily spend any more money. They, the the hopeful thing, at least from my point of view, is because you're able to cr- have created this annual event that people go to where there is um, a really great atmosphere, that – the atmosphere that's created that one time when everybody comes for the free event is enough to carry over and draw people in for when they have to pay. And you know. yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. And and if you can, I mean, I'm I haven't done this for a long time. And the first time we did it, we didn't gather any data on the. I mean, we didn't do anything. So we had like you know three thousand people, which was huge for us. One game. Next week we had a regular season, you know, game. We had nine hundred people the same as before this huge and we didn't know who came to other we had no idea because it was free they were just flowing in and then leaving we didn't know who was there um so how could we even if we had known like got an email address or whatever and start uh starting a relationship with them of course i would maybe you know get some new customers in um but uh, at the point, um, yeah, we didn't know that. So we're learning now. I mean, I would do things differently now, but yeah.
0: Yeah, and, and that opens, um, you know, that, that leads me to a question because it's interesting. An email address, right, which everybody thinks that email is just kind of like old school, kind of like nobody uses email. You know, it's like it's kind of like the, uh, what would be sort of um, – you know, like the sedan uh, of the digital marketing. Yet I have an email list, right? That is not huge by any stretch of the imagination, but I consistently get 30 or 35% open rates. And any action that I ask people to do um, typically comes through at, you know, somewhere around 5%, which, are, you know, like we were talking about before, 2 or 3% is pretty good in any yeah. kind of direct campaign. But I don't see enough... How often um, teams don't or organizations aren't using email effectively? And you said you've learned from like some of the mistakes in the past. So has that changed the way that you view uh, email or any kind of a digital asset as a tool to help grow interest in the sport or continue to grow your customer base?
1: Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, for sure, it's been it's been maybe the the, the single. Look, we're like I said, we're we're very small. We, we can't afford a lot of things. We need to kind of focus on a few things, and um, and the email address has proven um, to be the most effective way of, of Like, look, people are going to say, "Well, the youth, the kids, they don't use email. They don't even know what that is. So, why do we even bother?" Like, but the people who buy the tickets for us i mean they use email they use it in work at work they they use it to log in all over i mean they use it's it's really important and uh, let's yeah we might have a 20 25% open rate on on emails like newsletter about the national team and, and uh, um, that way we also know that they've actually seen it and and uh, they open it and we know i mean uh, I don't, there might be other better things out there that I don't know about. I don't know, but it's it's been working really well for us.
0: Yeah, I think that point you make about people needing these email addresses to log on all over the place is true. Like, even if they don't use it um, regularly, they still need it to get into Facebook. They still need it to get, you know, a lot of times to get onto Twitter because you need, uh, probably either Facebook or an email to get you know a Twitter account or they they need it to get receipts for it you know if they buy tickets to something so I mean it's still useful it may not be their preferred mode of communication but that actually might play into your hands a lot better because maybe they aren't getting so many newsletters or so much clutter in their mailbox so that when you do send a message it does stand out but you know Again, if you're getting 25% and I'm getting some, a lot of times between 25 and 30% on mine, then that shows that like, if you have an audience that is engaged with you and that cares about the messages you're sending them, then they still will respond. And I think that's the most important thing is to cultivate an audience that cares about you. Um, And I think from what we've been talking about today, that's what sounds like you've been trying to do with basketball in Sweden. Would that be fairly accurate?
1: Oh, yeah, 100%. I mean, we we focus on the people that already like basketball and try to deepen that relationship to get them to come more, get them to bring friends, to be proud of basketball um, and, um, and grow. We might not get, you know, explosive growth out of that, but at least it's kind of dependable and they kind of started like us. And that's, I mean, we don't have the resources to do big marketing campaigns anyway. So, um, yeah, exactly.
0: And what is explosive growth anyway, right? If you grow, you know, like say, if you're 6% of the um, population today and you gain one percent. So that's that. That's eighteen percent. So then you're at seven percent, right? If you do that for a couple of years, where you know you've sure. made, you've you've had tremendous growth, right? So I think maybe off, too often we end up getting um, enamored or wed or um, even. Uh, disoriented by this idea of explosive growth when like if you keep chipping away at something, you know, you do get there. But it's just, it, you know, it, there's no miracle that like you can wave a magic wand in most cases and things automatically change. But that, you know, that's been sort of my, you know, the things I've seen over the years. Yeah. Oh. Uh, yeah. Well yeah, that's true before I let you go, how can people find out more about you and the Swedish Basketball Association
1: I have a name that is
0: kind of it's not obvious but um, I,
1: I'd say um, uh, on Twitter uh, for me it's the most it's the best place or LinkedIn it's um, Johannes volert um, and um J-O-H-A-N-N-E-S, W-O-H-L-E-R-T, or Basket SE, that's the Swedish, uh, we're all over social media with that, Basket SE, so uh, that's also the website, basket.se.
0: Okay, and I'll make sure that I um, put that stuff in the show notes so that people ha- yeah. have a link right to uh, your tw- your uh, Twitter account and your LinkedIn page and everything. Um, well, I want to thank you for taking the time to talk to me today, and um, I look forward to talking to you again soon. Okay, thank you, Dave. Thanks for having me. Thank you again for listening to the Business of Fun podcast. To find out more about what I'm up to, visit my website at www.davewakeman.com. If you'd like to get my email newsletter where I talk about value on a weekly basis, you can email me. It's my name, Dave, at DaveWakeman.com. If you like the podcast, please check it out and subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, uh, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. And please leave a review. I'll see you next time. Thanks so much.